0: So we're reading 2 John chapter 1. The Elder. To the lazy chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who did not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Okay, I'm going to pray for James as he comes and speaks to us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, really open our ears to hear and I pray, Lord, that you would really give James the words that you have for him to speak to us today. Open our hearts, Lord, and open James's mouth, and let him speak from you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: So, as mentioned, we've got um, our series, uh, Little Letters, Big Truths. We're looking at uh, Philemon, which we looked at last week, 2 John, this week, 3 John, next week, and um, we've heard 2 John, the whole letter, and this is a letter that is attributed to John the disciple, who also is the voice of John's Gospel, uh, the three letters, 1, 2, and 3 John, and the book of Revelation. And if you read John's Gospel, you read the letters, you read Revelation, you will pick up themes that keep coming up. Um, He talks about light and darkness a lot in his writing. He talks about love often, this command, love one another. That's one that comes up in his writings frequently. He talks about truth again and again. He mentions truth. and You may have noticed that with uh, this letter, with what Sarah read, because he speaks of truth four times. In the first four verses, he mentions truth. And this whole letter, short as it is, is kind of focused really, as brief as it is, on truth. And one truth in particular he mentions. And what's the truth that John is concerned about? What's the truth that he sort of mentions? Uh, He mentions it in verse 7, really. He warns against deceivers who have gone out and do not acknowledge Christ coming in the flesh. Jesus coming in the flesh. This seems to be... The, the thrust of his letter. Now, this phrase, deny Christ coming in the flesh, this is not, he's not talking about people who deny that Jesus ever existed. John's not concerned or writing about those people. He's not talking about people who deny that Jesus is saviour, even. He's not talking about people who say that Jesus was just a, a good man or a teacher or, or whatever like that. He's not even talking about people who would deny that Jesus is God. He's talking about people, a very specific group of people, really, who might believe that Jesus is their saviour, might believe that Jesus is God, but do not believe or struggle to believe that Jesus actually is God, come to us as a human being, as a real-life human being. You see, in the early church, there were lots of discussions and disagreements about theology, about what God was like, about who Jesus was, all kinds of that. We can be tempted to think that these kind of disagreements are a more modern thing, that it took that everyone in the early church thought and believed the same thing. And over the, the decades and the centuries, that's when sort of uh, different thinking and wrong thinking crept in. But from the very beginning... The disciples and the apostles had to deal with people who came along and said, Well, this is who God is, this is what Jesus is like, and they were wrong. And it's not something that's unique to later periods. It's something the church has struggled with from day one. And there were some who were happy to accept Jesus was God, very happy to accept Jesus was God, but could not accept that he was a human being because it was undignified. It was unworthy of God to become a human being, to take human form. Jesus may have been God, but he just appeared to be human. He was God wearing the disguise of a human being. He wasn't a real human being like You and me with our, you know, clumsiness tripping over our own feet at times with our need for eat and drink and sleep and all those very undignified bodily fluids that we have to deal with. No, no, no. God couldn't be dealing with that. God couldn't be messing with that. That's beneath God. That's unworthy of God. A holy and perfect God. And clearly, it seems that there were groups going out and teaching this and they kind of infecting the church because although John writes his letter and he says, it, you know, writes it to the lady and her children, this, I think, is generally a, a, an image, a metaphor for a church because at the end he also says, you know, your chosen sister sends her greetings. Like another church, the church John is, is with at the time, his right from sends their greeting. And it sounds like that people have gone out and come to this church and started filling people's heads with this idea, well, Jesus was God, yeah, but he wasn't really human. No, he can't be human. Have you ever thought about what that means? No, 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 that's disgusting. That's a horrible image. Let's not do that. Because, And John says, you know, right at the beginning, he says he's delighted to hear that some of your children are walking in the truth. Some of your children. So it indicates that there are those who are not, who have been deceived uh, by those who have gone out and saying, No, 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 um, Jesus can't have been God as a, a, a real human. And he warns them not to welcome these teachers, not even to offer them hospitality. If you do, you are sharing in their work when you do this, you are enabling them to spread their deceit. And he feels very strongly about this, very strongly. And if you read this, you might think this sounds like a bit of an overreaction, John, to to these people who are going out and teaching this thing, and you call them deceivers, and you say they are antichrist, and you shouldn't have anything to do with them. You shouldn't offer them hospitality, you shouldn't do anything. And it may seem like an overreaction, because you think, well, they're just trying to, you know, honour God. They're just trying to be respectful of God. They're just trying to, you know, God's too holy to get involved with the human body. That doesn't sound like that bad, does it? That sounds like a a respectful thing to think about God. Why is John losing his mind over these people? Well, I think John understands something. I think John understands something that um, Nadia mentioned not so long ago, that how how we think, what we believe about God shapes the way that we live. It shapes the way we experience life. And I think John understands that sometimes we believe things about God that sound like they honour God. They sound like they respect God. God. They sound like logical and good and true things to believe, but actually they do the exact opposite. They do not honour God. They belittle him. They make what he's done small. They lessen what he's done. Rather than honouring God to say, Well, becoming a real flesh and blood person is beneath him, rather than honouring God, it belittles what he has done. It belittles what he's created. It suggests that when God made human beings, he somehow made a mistake. He somehow got it wrong. He somehow didn't intend us to be human. When he created us with all our physical quirks and limitations, that that was somehow a mistake. And that wasn't, something that came from God's imagination in the first place. Whereas in Genesis, it says pretty clearly, God made it and he looks at it and he says, it's good. It's good. And God thinks it's so good, thinks what he's created is so good that He is willing to, to become what he created, willing to become a human. That God, the most holy, high creator of all things, became what he created and experienced life through your eyes and mine. All for the sake of love. That's the gospel. And far from honouring God to say, well, no, that didn't really happen, it makes him smaller. It plays down the immense magnificence and grace of the incarnation. And John says, I'm not having that. And neither should you. Don't settle for a small God just because it fits into what you already think you know about the world and just because it fits in with what you think you know about yourself. Don't settle for a small God because John, I think, believes that if God can do something slightly magnificent or something abundantly magnificent, he will do what is abundantly magnificent. That's what God will do. And that is the God that John believes in. That's the God that John preaches. That's the gospel and the message that he proclaims. And I think John knows that what you believe about God, what you think about God, stays with you day by day by day and, and impacts your life in ways you may not even be aware of. It will shape how you live day by day. And if you believe in a lesser God, if you believe in a small God, your life will be timid and colourless. But if you believe in a great God, if you believe in the magnificence of God, if you believe in a God who does things that are unthinkable or unbelievable, and that shapes your life instead, then the colour and courage and life of God flow into what you experience day by day. Some of you know that Ruth and I have recently moved uh, last weekend we moved. We've moved a lot uh, since we came back from Australia in eight and a half years, and I'm, I think we're all over it, to be honest. But one of the advantages of moving quite frequently is that every time you move, it's an opportunity to go through what you own and colour and say, do I need this? Do I, you know, should I keep this? Should I get rid of this? And we've moved um, six times in the last eight and a half years which I feel is, you know, a lot. But it's six chances to go through all your stuff. And there's, every time you come up and there's stuff you've kept for the last four moves, you think, no, this time we're going to get rid of it. And so this is what I've been doing. And I spent a, a, morning, a happy morning a couple of weeks ago burning bank statements that were 20 years old that <laughs> I've been keeping all these times in case a bank manager suddenly appears at my door and says, I need to know what you spent on the 13th of February 2006 or something like that. No. And you have all these things you thought you needed and you thought were important and you think, oh, I don't need this anymore. Let's just get rid of this. Let's just burn, burn this. But I do have other things that I've kept for even longer than 20 years, things that I won't uh, get rid of. I've got a box of journals. Some of you I've mentioned before I've been keeping journals since I was 18 s- sort of recording my spiritual walk and and how God's answered prayers. And I've got this pile of books that you know is my gift to the world, great spiritual truths that no one will be able to read because my handwriting is terrible. And I keep those. I'll keep those. I've got uh, letters and cards written by people to me over the years, just sometimes just a line or two thanking me for something I said or something I did, because you know what life's like. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need to remember that I'm not useless and things I did do something good once, and they can be like a life fest. Those memories. So I've got a box of of, of things I keep that I will never get rid of, no matter. Uh, how many more times we move? And I think all of us move a lot. I'm speaking metaphorically now, not literally. Some of you will move have moved a lot literally, but I think metaphorically, as we go through life, we all move a lot from situation to situation, stage of life to stage of life. We go to a new experience, we meet new people, we do all kinds of new things. and each time we move, into this new home in our life, we bring with us all the stuff we've been carrying around, the baggage and all the things we've been carrying with us from home to home, the things we have experienced, the things we believe, the things we believe about what we've experienced. We bring the things with us that we think are important, that we think we need to hold on to. And those things we have lying around our home, those boxes of truths, and lies shape our life and shape how we live and shape how we experience and handle the things that happen to us. And sometimes in life we look around, again I'm speaking metaphorically, and our house is just cluttered with boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff that we don't need. Stuff we've been carrying around for years. Things we think are important, but they're not important. We've just been holding on to them. And sometimes in our life, we really need a truth. We really need a truth, something about God to speak to us, but we can't reach it because it's buried in the bottom of a box, which is buried under 16 other boxes that are filled with 20-year-old bank statements. And we can't get to that truth. And John says in this letter, he says, find out what is true. Find out what the important truths are. And hold on to them. Make sure you remain in those things. Continue in those things. Don't run ahead thinking you're going somewhere great. Stay in the truth. What do we carry with us from situation to situation? What do you carry with you from situation to situation? What are the things that you believe about God that you bring with you every day into every conversation, every new challenge, every event? face? What are the things you bring with you? Are they things that enable you to live with courage, to live with grace, to live with generosity? Or are they things that just make God small? Things that play down who he is and what he has done. Things that create in you a sense of low expectation that God is going to be involved in your day-to-day life. In this letter, John is stressing the genuine humanity of Jesus, that God's not playing games. He really did it. He did not make a mistake in creating the world. He does not hold us at arm's length like a dirty nappy, you know, because you're human and I'm not, and frankly, you stink. That's not God. He intended our humanity, and more than that, he values it so much that he willingly became human. He thinks highly of our humanity. He thinks highly of you, of each of you. He thinks highly of who you are. And is that a truth that you take with you each day by day? Is that in one of the boxes in your cupboard, ready to pull out when you need it? He doesn't keep you at arm's length. He's not embarrassed by you. He's not ashamed of you. He does not think you are beneath him and his notice. You know, being God, you might think he's got bigger and better things to worry about, but no. He worries about you. And these are things you might believe, you might think. And you might think, well, I'm just honouring God to think so little of myself. Because, of course, God has better things to think about than me. Of course, has, God has bigger things to, to be thinking about than me. Of course, his God is so far above me, and I'm so unworthy. You know, when I think these things, I'm just honouring God, right? I'm just, I've just got a right view of who, who I am and a right view of who God is. Just like the people in John's letter he's writing against. Because here's the thing. Right, We are fragile, we fail, we sin. But God thinks you are worth his love. God thinks you are worth his grace. Do you realise that? How can I say this? How do I know this? Because he gives us his love. He gives us his grace. The very fact that God gives us these things means that he has seen us and made a decision that we are worth loving. We are worth his grace. That is what God has decided. So how can we go through day by day thinking that we are not worth it, thinking so little of ourselves when God himself thinks we are worth becoming human and dying for? Do you not understand how much God loves you? Do you not understand how precious you are to him. How amazing he thinks you are. Don't believe things you think respect and honor God but just belittle him, that just make him small and what he's done smaller. Why would you choose to believe in a stingy God when there's a perfectly good, generous God available and offering? To know you. If God kneels down to us and says, You know, to me, you are worth the most precious thing I have, the life of my son, the correct response is praise and gratitude and devotion. It is not to look back at God and say, Well, actually, God, I disagree. Instead, Believe the biggest things you can about God. Believe the most generous and abundant things about him. Believe the greatest things you can about God. And carry those with you into each day. And you will find, I think, that the truth truth is even more incredible than that.